focus on on two things there. One is making sure we get the gospel message to people. Even people who visit the church, we want to follow it up, maybe with an evangelism explosion type of stuff, get the gospel message to people. And then beyond that, uh, um, we want to basically train people in basic Christian beliefs. I, I actually give a series of sermons probably about every, uh, every five to seven years, but we just can't keep going over that over and over again. So we're going to need uh, to basically new membership training. And we've got the booklets. Also, let me, let me just throw this out real quick. And, um, but it, there's so many needs that our church can meet that maybe a lot of our people in our church don't know. And that's uh, just look up my name, spell it right. It's Fernandez with an S, not a Z. Look up my name online. You can you can find, what, three pages of books or booklets and courses on Amazon.com. You can find almost 2,000 sermons, lectures, debates online. Um, you could look up different series of courses and stuff. So there's there's almost um, almost no training you couldn't get. I mean, we don't we don't teach the languages, but um, but you can get probably thirty to forty college level Bible college level courses and things of that sort. So so uh, please you know tap into that if you get a chance. And we're a small church and all our elders are bivocational, so we're real busy. And so sometimes we can't meet that need face to face, but we don't have to reinvent the wheel. It's it's out there. So if that helps you, great. Of course, there's many other really good resources online as well. If you have any of those uh, questions on where to find us online or on radio or things like that, you could talk to me or talk to Pat. And um, and uh, but uh, we just want to make sure we're meeting the needs of our people. Now I'm going to be preaching on First Thessalonians chapter three uh, today, and so if you turn there and then. Uh, We've got the handouts back there, so if you need the handout, we've got them. And as you're turning to First Thessalonians chapter three, let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time that He uh, anoints me to preach His word. Father in Jesus' precious name, we we just love you, Lord. We love you so much, and we love your word, and we love your people. And uh, Lord, we we live in a culture of lies. Well, fake news is the is the the way, and um, propaganda that we got hit, we get hit with on a regular basis. We live in a nation that has abandoned you and your word, and so I just pray, Lord, that uh, today's message would be a light in the midst of the darkness. The people didn't come here to hear the wisdom of man. They can get the faulty wisdom of man on television or on the Internet. But they came here to hear your truth. And so, Lord, I pray that uh, the Trinity Bible Fellowship, that we would be a church of the brokenhearted. That we would be a church that recognizes we deserve hell, but your son won for us through the cross and the resurrection. He won for us heaven. And so may we be a people, a church of the brokenhearted, a church that trembles at your word. And so I beg you, Lord, please cancel the man. False ideas pop into my head like everybody else's head all the time. But I pray that you would cancel the man and that you would anoint me with your spirit, fill me with your spirit to proclaim your truth. Your word is perfect, but the preacher's, preacher never is ever since your son ascended to heaven. So please anoint me with your spirit to proclaim your truth. Open hearts and mind, minds, including my own, to receive truth from your word and empower us to apply it to our lives so that we could be pleasing in your sight so that when your son returns for us, he'll tell us, well done, thou good and faithful servant. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Well, First Thessalonians, remember Paul gave them a blessing of joy and peace. You know, what, what better blessing can we give that they experience God's joy and God's peace 
And he thanked God for the Thessalonian believers. I mean, it's, it's, how often do we thank God for each other? And sometimes you act like, oh, just me and Jesus, that's all I need. No, God, God saves us as individuals, but he calls us to community, he calls us to family. And we got a family here. we got a wider family in Kitsap County and then throughout Washington State, throughout the country, throughout the world. And um, but Paul thanked God for the Thessalonian believers. We need to be more grateful for each other and thank God um, for the believers. Now, Paul felt the need to defend his ministry to the Thessalonians. With the Corinthians, Paul had to defend his ministry because these guys were always questioning his authority, Okay. With the Thessalonians, it's a different thing. He only spent probably a few weeks with them, and then he got ran out of town through persecution. Then he went to Berea, 100 miles away, and the Thessalonian Jews that didn't accept Christ followed him into Berea and chased him out of there, and then he had to flee to Athens. And after preaching there, he ended up going to Corinth and planted the church, and from there he wrote this letter to them. So he's just letting them know, hey, guys, I... I told you it was going to get hot in the kitchen. It got hot in the kitchen. I had to flee. And, um, and I got some, a good update from Timothy on you, but he's writing this from uh, in Corinth where Timothy and Silas had re, reunited with them. And, um, but he defended his ministry. There was a ministry of integrity to the Thessalonians. He wasn't in it for himself. He certainly wasn't in it for the money. And then Paul prays for their spiritual growth. You know, we lead people to Christ. We don't want to lead people to Christ so they just get saved and then they can just slime through their walks. We want to help people. We want to disciple people. We want to lead them to Christ. We want to help them to grow in the Lord. I pray that we grow. We've got empty chairs here in the biggest building in the world. we got room to grow. We can take in more. But I always pray, Lord, bring in more people but don't give us more people than we can effectively disciple. That's why I talked about going online. If we can't, can't meet all your needs face-to-face through the grace of God and the power of God, maybe online, our online ministry might be able to help there. And, um, but, uh, but Paul prayed for their spiritual growth. Do you, any, anybody you led to Christ that, or planted seed, do you pray for their spiritual growth? And then he longed to visit them. You know, when me and my wife, when we're out of out of town and I got to preach somewhere else, uh, I really miss our fellowship. It's never the never the same. Even if I have to go to another church, and whether I'm preaching or just sitting in the pews, it's just it's just never the same when I'm apart from my family. And I want to be I want to be a good shepherd. Every one of us, you want to be. You know, if you're married, you want to be a good husband. If you're a pastor, you want to be a good shepherd. But every one of us has a ministry from the Lord. We, we should all want to be ministers like Paul. He loved the Thessalonians. Even though he only met them for a few weeks, he longed to visit them. And so we're going to learn here in the first 10 chapters of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 that Paul couldn't be there, so he did the next best thing. Probably, you know, him and Silas, I mean, these guys were like probably, Paul was probably in his early 50s at this point. And uh, if him or Silas stayed in Thessalonica, they probably would have got beaten to death. So he sent back Timothy. Timothy was a younger guy. He's probably in his 20s at this point, maybe mid to late 20s at this point here. I don't know. And uh, so um, he could probably get away with, you know, shepherding the flock over there and establishing them and help 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 build that foundation that Paul wanted to build but Paul couldn't be there for them and uh and you know when the when the thugs show up and, and that day's coming in America by the way there's a reason why there's a manifesto that uh FBI doesn't want revealed the school shooting in a Christian school and um there's people that are targeting Christians right now. Well, if they showed up, if those kinds of anti-Christian thugs showed up in uh, Thessalonica, nobody would suspect a 20-something-year-old kid to be the pastor there. 
But he was trained by Paul. I don't care how young you are. If you were trained by Paul and you were a good disciple, you're the man. And uh, and so Paul sent Timothy to Thessalonica because he wouldn't be there. Look at verse 1 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, and basically, you know, Paul could endure a lot more pain than I could. Okay? Uh, I was a little puppy dog this morning. I woke up with a little nausea. I don't know if it was the back medication I'm taking or what, but I was a little puppy dog. My wife babies me when I'm, when I'm in pain. She handles pain real well. I don't. But when Paul says he couldn't endure it, it was pretty bad. You know, when Paul says I couldn't endure it anymore, he's saying, man, look, if I stayed an extra day, I'd be a dead man. And God wants me to stick around for a while longer and preach his word. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone. And um, and so Paul had preached in Thessalonica, led people to Christ. He's preaching the synagogues, and many of the Jews were coming to Christ, but even more of the Jews were opposed to the gospel message, and they started beating up on Paul. So his team, Paul Silvanus, that's another, the Roman name for Silas. He was a Roman citizen like Paul was. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy had to flee to Berea, 100 miles away. And things were going okay there. And the Bereans were even more, the Jewish religious leaders there were real open to the gospel. But the anti-Christian Jewish leaders from Thessalonica traveled 100 miles um, just to, to cause problems for Paul. I don't know about you, I've never... Whether I, when I was unsaved and serving the wrong kingdom, trying to build my own kingdom, or after getting saved, serving the Lord's kingdom, no one's ever traveled 100 miles to put a whooping on me. But you know, when you're serving the triune God, and people are willing to travel 100 miles just to put a whooping on you, you know you're doing something right, okay? We're so, it's real weird, too. As Christian leaders, we're supposed to have a good reputation with those outside the church. Yet, Jesus says, if you find the world hates you, know it has hated me before it hated you. So there's got to be that balance there. You know, it's almost like you, you know you're doing well when the world, when the powerful people in the world say, uh, yeah, uh, John McCarthy, he's a, he's a great man of integrity. Now let's go beat them up, you know? And so that's the, that's the right balance that we're, we're shooting for. And then the people's response to it, we just do what God's called us to do, and we leave that to them. But, uh, but it's getting hot in the kitchen here in America. But Paul, when the, things got real rough uh, there, he knew that he had to flee, and it turned out they, they, you know, they didn't get a flee from Berea, and, you know, they didn't have all the plans set in motion, so it just ended up, look, Paul, you just get out of here real quick, and you go to Athens. You can read about this in Acts 17. You can read through that whole chapter, Thessalonica, Berea, and then Athens. And then in Acts 18, Paul goes and plants the church in Corinth, and then he's rejoined, reunited with uh, Silas and Timothy come to town. And um, and that's when Timothy gives him the, the good word about them. But Paul preached in Athens. When, when Paul, you know, I mean, it, if you say Paul went to Athens, that's synonymous with saying Paul preached in Athens. Because Paul said, what was me if I don't preach the gospel? Paul said, I'll, I'll stop preaching Jesus when I stop breathing. And then I'll worship him in heaven. Okay? Um, Pastor Phil went to Walmart yesterday. That's not synonymous with saying Pastor Phil preached at Walmart. Sometimes the opportunity's there, sometimes it's not. But I'm not as bold as I need to be. I'm not as bold as the Apostle Paul. But Paul went to Athens, and, you know, and Athens was famous. Guys named Socrates, if you 
watch comedy movies. I guess they call them Socrates. But uh, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. Um, but a Fazzini from Princess Bride called them morons. And, um, but whatever the case, Athens was like the home base, the headquarters of Greek philosophy. Philosophy is the love of wisdom. The greatest wisdom of man was there in Athens. Well, at this point, Athens is now a has-been town. And now it's Alexandria, Egypt, was now the new headquarters. But Paul shows up in Athens. I don't know if Paul expected to see great things going on in Athens as far as the philosophers and debates and stuff. They would still meet on Areopagus, Mars Hill, uh, to debate and dialogue. They spent their time debating and dialogue. It goes back to Aristotle. Aristotle said, look, two kinds of people in the world is the Greeks and the barbarians. So the Greeks, we're the intellectuals. We need to take over the world, militarily conquer everybody else, make them our slaves so we can sit around and talk philosophy and politics all day. And so Areopagus, Mars Hill, was a place where you could do that. But when Paul showed up, he looked around, and he didn't see a whole bunch of philosophers, although he did dialogue with Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. We don't have time to really get into what they were all about. You could check this out. Go online, look up my sermon on Mars Hill, on Sermon Audio. But um, he got to dialogue with philosophers. But when he got there, he saw it's nothing but idols. Statues, the false gods. And uh, in fact, ancient history records there were more idols in Athens than there were people around this time. Just a few hundred years after Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle did their thing, and you got more statues, the false gods, than you got people. And this, this impacted Paul. A lot of us, I mean, I, I've known myself to walk into areas and say, wow, this place is godless. Let me get out of here before God judges it. Okay? That's not the way Paul responded. Paul would see the godlessness. He would see the false religion. And it would be heavy on his heart. Because he loved people. He wanted to see people come to Jesus. And uh, how do you find common ground in a situation like that? God called to find common ground with the world. Don't, don't try so hard to find common ground that you compromise your faith. You don't want to try to find so much common ground with the world that you become the world. But he's, he's probably scratching his head thinking, how am I going to find common ground with these pagans? And so he compliments them for being very religious. When's the last time you complimented a new ager for being very religious. When's the last time you complimented an atheist for being very religious? If it's a militant, outspoken atheist like Richard Dawkins, they're incredibly religious. I dedicated a chapter to that in my Atheist Illusion book, that they slam religion without even realizing they have total religious passion. If, the, you know, if, uh, if they don't believe God exists, why do they hate him with so much passion? They're very religious people. They've got their evangelists preaching the gospel of atheism all over the world. And, um, but Paul looked at these statues, false idols in Athens, and he said, I could see that you're very religious, but I noticed you got one statue. Statue to the unknown God. And that was like the Greeks. The Greeks... It's like, you know what, we're worshiping thousands of gods, but just in case we missed one, let's build a statue to the unknown God. And Paul said, the one God you don't know, I know. And guess what? He's the only true infinite God. And so I'm going to proclaim to you uh, the unknown God, the God that you never knew. And uh, But the thing is, when Paul shows up there, this was supposed to be the headquarters of Greek philosophy. A few hundred years go by, and guess what? You know, Greek philosophy went head-to-head, mano-a-mano. They went head-to-head with Greek mythology and Greek paganism. And after several hundred years of some of the world's greatest thinkers ever, 
paganism and mythology one. And there's all these false idols. You still got some throwbacks to Stoic and Epicurean philosophers, but it was pretty obvious who won. Why is that the case? Okay, Because what the Greek philosophers did was they tried to do, they said, look, these people are explaining everything. They make up stories. If they can't explain something, thunder, lightning, earthquakes, they invent stories about the gods, and they blame it on the gods and say you got to appease this god or appease that god. Okay? But maybe there's logical reasons, rational reasons, scientific reasons behind what's going on. And so the Greek philosopher said, we're not going to deal with this supernatural. We're going to try to find natural reasons. Now, by finding natural reasons, Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, they were not atheists. They knew that there had to be some kind of non-material world. Uh, Plato is the world of ideas. Okay, and uh, and true morality, universal morality. So they stumbled onto some of God's truths without even uh, acknowledging the one true God. And so Greek philosophy lost the battle to Greek mythology and paganism. Why? Is it because of what Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4? Man, when he was being tempted by Satan, man does not live on bread alone, but on every utterance of the mouth of God. You see, Jesus was saying, if you try like the atheists do, and like many Greek philosophers tried, if you try to explain everything, human existence, and make sense out of life, and find meaning, and find joy, and find contentment and satisfaction, if you try to find all those things under the sun, you can be right back at the book of Ecclesiastes. King Solomon, long before Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, he saw that everything under the sun is meaningless. It's a waste of time. Once you put God in the picture, then everything falls into place. Big building projects, a thousand concubines and wives, wine drinking, reading and writing of books, none of that amounts to anything if you're just looking at things under the sun in the earth's atmosphere. But once you put God in the picture, he, Solomon concluded his book in conclusion, fear God and obey his commands. Why? Because God even judges our thoughts. So even little things like thoughts take on eternal consequences. Okay? I'm telling you, there's, there's there to be some people here. I've been there where uh, you might be thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm a pretty holy guy or I'm a pretty holy gal because I haven't, uh, I can't remember the last time I sinned in my behavior. Let me tell you something. If God exists, then he does. And God's even judging your thoughts. To anybody here who thinks they've arrived, you're lying to yourself, okay? We've never, none of us, even Paul could say, I've, I haven't attained to the resurrection, okay? Um, but whatever the case, uh, they tried to solve everything through bread alone, through human existence, without looking to God, and it was vanity. It was meaninglessness. And, uh, and so Greek philosophy lost the battle to Greek mythology and paganism, and so Paul, seeing these many idols, he preached his message about the unknown God. The one God you don't know is the God that I know, and I'm going to preach to you. By the way, he's the infinite God who created the heavens and the earth, and he's going to judge the whole world through one man. And he put his stamp of approval on that one man by raising him from the dead. Now, he got a mixed response. Because the Greeks, were, because of Plato, they were looking for the immortality of the soul. What they wanted, once you physically die, they wanted your soul to be set free from the body, and your soul lives forever, never to be rejoined to your body, whereas the Jews and the early church proclaimed that 
even though when we physically die, if you're a believer, your spirit goes to be immediately with the Lord. You continue to have conscious existence. But when Jesus returns, your physical body is going to be raised. Your mortal body will put on immortality. You'll have your resurrection body, your glorified body, and you'll reign with Christ. And, um, and so now the Greeks, they, they thought it was an embarrassment to talk about a bodily resurrection. Only uneducated people would think that, said the ancient Greeks. In fact, some scholars, like the late Greg Bonson, he thinks when, when, uh, when they found that Paul, they were very interested because Paul was preaching Jesus and uh, Anastasis, Jesus and the resurrection. And they thought, huh, there's something we haven't heard about. Let's let him preach. And then when he really explained, I really do believe in the Anastasis, the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus, that's when a bunch of them said, oh, this guy's a kook. This guy's a nut. He got a mixed reaction, but some people did come to Christ. Some did become believers there in Athens. Uh, let me tell you, why did I go off on this tangent just about Paul preaching in Athens? Okay, there's several reasons why I did. But one of them is, you know, we make our plans and sometimes God's the one who made the, those plans for us. So we got, okay, I got to go here. I got to go there. I got to go here. And something gets kind of off base where we get stuck. We're kind of like Paul, you know, Thess Thessalonica, he gets bounced down to, had to flee to Berea has to flee to Athens, he's all alone. He could have said, hey, I'm going to take a little vacation. Get a, get a little bit of rest and relaxation, eat some good Greek food, and I'll pick things up when I go to Corinth, and I'll try to start a church over there. But it, this is almost like Paul on vacation. What does Paul do on vacation? He preaches a sermon that has such a great impact that if you go to Mars Hill today, Areopagus, you will see in Koine Greek his sermon at Mars Hill. And um, so, I mean, you, I mean, you gotta, you gotta praise Jesus when you wake up in the morning. You gotta praise Jesus when you're eating breakfast and you're getting washed and you're getting ready for your day. You got to praise Jesus when you're doing your job, whatever that may be. You got to praise Jesus at supper time. You got to praise Jesus even, even when it's just like, hey, look, man, I just got to go to Walmart or Fred Myers. Okay? I believe that God predetermines everything that's going to occur, but I believe He factors in the free choices we would make. And if any of those free choices would go against, his overriding will, so he couldn't bring a greater good out of it, he would cancel that. You know, like, I freely chose to come here today. Um, he could have given me a bellyache so bad that I couldn't come here today. But um, when's the last time you went to Fred Myers and you said, I'm here as an ambassador of King Jesus? I'm here because throughout all eternity, he predetermined that I'd be here. And maybe all he wants you to do is tell people, God bless, God bless you. God loves you. But maybe, just maybe, there's somebody that, um, that the Lord actually wants you to share the gospel message with. When Paul's on vacation, it might just be, look, okay, I'll get a little bit of rest from the persecution. Um but there's no vacations in Christianity. If you're a Christian, you can't say, you know, I'm going to just take off one day. You know, King David tried that. How did that work for him? Okay. Noah, everybody could talk about him the flood and all, but what about him being naked and drunk late in life? No, we don't take a day off. And um, you serve Jesus 24-7. And... Um, um, and so, uh, so he preaches at Mars Hill. You can see that in Acts 17, 
16 to 34. You can look up my sermon on that online if you want. Uh, but Paul sent Timothy to establish the church in Thessalonica. He sent the young guy. Okay? And verse 2. So he Paul was left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel, the good news of salvation through Jesus, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you. Paul hadn't, he didn't even have enough time to establish the church there. He had to flee without appointing leaders or anything to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. So Paul sent Timothy to establish the church in Thessalonica. Just a kid, as far as preachers are concerned. This guy's just probably just in his 20s at this point. And uh, so Paul had to remind him, yeah, he's a young guy, but he's a brother a brother in Christ. He's a minister of God, a servant. He serves people through the power of God, and he is a co-laborer in the gospel. Now, we're all supposed to be co-laborers in the gospel, but when you're a co-laborer of the apostle Paul, not everybody gets to be on that team, okay? So he's saying, I'm, I'm sending, I sent you a young guy to establish the church there. I'm not sending you a slouch. I'm sending you a young man who sold out to Jesus and he will serve King Jesus even if they put a whooping on him. He's going to serve King Jesus. He's a good man. He's one of my co-laborers. And um, can, you, can you imagine that? It's like, you know, it'd be like if, if we were living back then and Paul said, hey, I can't, I can't do this important mission. We shared the gospel message. Couldn't really establish the church out there. Uh, I need you to pinch hit for me. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. I remember Norm Geiser, because of health, uh, he normally would, uh, when he would preach at uh, the Worldview Conference in um, for Antioch Bible Church out in the Bellevue area, um, he was getting up in years in the long flight. He could only do one or two talks instead of four or five. And I remember Carl Payne called me up and asked, I need you to pinch hit for Norm Geisler. I'm like, what a compliment. Yeah, some new kid on the block to pinch hit for Dr. Norman Geisler, possibly the greatest Christian apologist of the latter half of the 20th century. And, um, but Timothy had to pinch hit for the Apostle Paul. And so Paul had to remind them, I didn't send you a slouch. Okay. Now, and by the way, can you picture yourself if you're that young, how you'd be tempted to think of yourself as a slouch? How you'd be think to, thinking of, uh, thinking like, you know, well, who am I? Why would God call me to, to fill in for Paul? I'm a, I mean, I'm just a young guy. Okay. Um, why would God use me? Okay. Now, I mean, if you got sin in your life, yeah, then God wouldn't use you. But if you're being obedient to the Lord and being all that God called you to be, the issue is not how big is your problem. Hey, there's a lot of uh, Jewish leaders in Thessalonica that want me dead. The issue is not how big is your problem. The issue is how big is your God. And so a young man named Timothy was a lot like a teenager named David, a shepherd boy. And he saw his problem was bigger than him. His problem's name was Goliath. But he knew that his God was bigger than any problem he could face. And um, Timothy was that kind of guy. So the next time you think that God, you think, well, I think God might be calling me to do something. But wait a minute, why would God call me? Well, if there's sin in your life, yeah, God wouldn't call you. Okay? But if you're trying to be all that God called you to be, you got your face in God's word, you're a person of prayer, you're doing what God's called you to do, you're fellowshipping with other Christians. And when you hear, why me? Why would God have me do that? Hey, uh, that's probably the enemy talking. You might want to, by the way, you might want to take somebody with you, take a brother that's strong in the Lord or a sister that's strong in the Lord. 
and Jesus sent them out by twos. Obviously, sometimes things get so bad, Paul's got to preach alone in Athens. Timothy's got to go back to Thessalonica alone. But, um, but whatever the case, Paul says, no, he's, he's my brother. In fact, he was like a son to Paul. He's a minister of God and a co-laborer in the gospel. So Timothy was sent to encourage them in the faith. And the reason for this was so that they would not be shaken by persecution. Look at verses 3 and 4. That no one should be shaken by these afflictions. You know, you can, you can imagine too, even if nobody was beaten up on them, and then they were, a lot of them were getting beaten up on. But even if nobody had beaten on them, they would say, well, look, the guys who led us into this new religion, this new religious movement, look how they were treated. That shows us how we're going to be treated. By the way, that's what our government wants right now. Our government is, is really mistreating people in a Gestapo-like way for having the wrong political views. And so you know what they want us to do? They want us to sit back and say, whoa, if they're dealing with former President Trump that way or if they're dealing um, with peaceful protesters that way or if they're dealing with a, a journalist who is just telling the truth but he made us mad, said some bad things about us, so we'll see if we can lock him up. Gee, I don't want that to happen to me. And that's the temptation there, is that they would shrink back just seeing how Paul and Timothy and Silas were treated. So he sent Timothy to them uh, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. Paul's saying, look, hey, we, we told you this ahead of time. It just comes with the turf. You know, I, I got mixed feelings right now. When I look at our people and I watch the news, part of me feels like a dad with his little children trying to send them out into a cruel world, okay? But another part of me says, man, this is, we're the American church, Okay? The other side of the coin is, we're the American church. We're so spoiled. We've had it so good for so long that we have to be reminded when we read the word that it comes with the turf. Jesus never called us to a picnic. He called us to a war, a spiritual war. And he said, if you find the world hates you, know it hated me before it hated you. Paul could say before he died, 2 Thessalonians 3.12, he could say everyone who wants to live a righteous life will be persecuted. Now, we've had it so good in America, all that meant was people made fun of us. It was getting hot in the kitchen. Somebody called me a bad name and hurt my feelings. It's getting hot in the kitchen, brothers and sisters. There's going to be the wheat and the tares. There's going to be a separation of the men and the boys, and we're going to find out who are the pretenders and who are the true children of God because the, the, the fire of, of tribulation and, um, and suffering and persecution is uh, just around the corner. So he said, I'm going to send Timothy that no one should be shaken by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are a this preaching the gospel comes with persecution the bible calls satan the god of this age god dominion over the earth satan deceived man and stole it from man you think satan's going to give his kingdom without a fight we can't stay on the sidelines we got to preach jesus now keep in mind be filled with the Spirit. Some of us are going to be louder than others. We need quiet Christians. If we're all loud, they're going to, I'll be honest with you, if we're all loud, they're going to kill us all, okay? 
I'm hoping and praying there's revival and God turns everything around. But if I were a betting man, I would not bet on that. I'd say America's toast. And um, but we need quiet Christians who love people in a more quiet manner because we need that underground church that the old Soviet Union had for 70 years. The loud Christians, and God called them to be loud, they got locked up. Many of them died. Um, put in labor camps. Um, but the quiet Christians built the underground church after 70 years when communism fell, at least in appearance it fell, the old Soviet Union, um, the church was still alive and well. But if God's called you to be loud, you be loud, okay? God's called you to be quiet, you be quiet, okay? I take it, you know, I grew up in Essex County, New Jersey, half Italian, half Portuguese. I come from a loud people. So I just assume if I'm not loud, I'm not being obedient to my king, okay? God will, he'll give us gifts, he'll give us talents, even when we're non-believers, so that when we come to him, he'll use those, even those natural abilities, even besides giving us supernatural gifts, he'll use those natural abilities to use us. But God made me loud, okay? I had no say in it. Half Portuguese, half Italian, I am loud. I'm from New Jersey. Um, God may have called you to be loud. I notice some loud people here, some people louder than me. Uh, if I don't interrupt you, I can't say anything. If you don't interrupt me, you can't say anything. Um, but God's going to call some of us to be quiet. But you be what God called you to be. But you got to recognize um, that believers will suffer uh, persecution. It comes with the turf. And um, verse 4, for in fact, we told you before when we were with you, that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened, and you know. So Paul makes it very, very clear, you know, and uh, that uh, believers would suffer persecution. Um, but then in verse 5, for this reason, I could no longer endure it. What, the persecution? No, he can endure the persecution. He just knows he's not an idiot. If God still wants him to preach, if he gets a chance to flee, he'll flee. They lowered him out one time, I think it was in Damascus, lowered him uh, in a basket over the city walls to get him away. Paul was constantly fleeing. So if you can run, you run. If you can hide, you hide. If they catch you, you start a prison ministry. They put you in solitary confinement, you get a really good devotional life. If they kill you, you see Jesus. That's why Paul could say, you know, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, told the Philippians, I would much rather die and be with Jesus. But I know you guys need me. Once he finished the course, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, then Paul knew it was time for him to go. But Paul said, for this reason, when I could no longer endure, endure what? He couldn't endure not knowing their status, how they were doing. You know, he's like a doctor who delivers a baby and there were some complications there, some extra suffering. And he's a big, important doctor. and Maybe it's not a real well-known family or anything, but he's so concerned that he wants to check up on the family. How's the kid doing? I knew, I know your baby had a really rough first day, Okay. Paul couldn't endure it anymore. It was driving him nuts. I want to know how those babes in Christ in Thessalonica are doing, okay? And uh, for this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter, that Satan, had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. And so Paul could no longer endure not knowing their status. You know, are, are we genuinely concerned about our spiritual children. I, I'll, I'll confess to you, I need to be a little more concerned about that. And then you can't do everything. I, I got an email and a Facebook message from two former students, two guys, and um, both wanted to get together with me. 
And I'm thinking, man, I got sciatica, I got doctor's appointment, I got physical therapy, I got... And I usually try to visit with this, the, the former male students. If it's a former female student, I'll see if Kathy feels well enough, and then the two of us will visit with them. Or sometimes they'll drop by the school and say hello. Um, are we genuinely concerned about our spiritual children? Sometimes you're doing too much, you create a situation where there's too many people dependent on you can't do everything. Sometimes you just got to trust God. But I do love these two guys. I do miss them. I do want to see them. I just can't figure out when to find them. Any free time I find, it's like, hey, maybe I can get a little extra sleep right now. But uh, Paul couldn't endure not knowing their status, but he couldn't visit them, so he sent Timothy to get a, an update on them. As your ministry grows, learn how to delegate. Do a better job at delegating than I do. By the way, delegating is not just telling somebody to do something that you're not able to do. Delegating means you've trained a team. So when you can't do something, you can just send a brother or a sister, and they're already equipped to do it, okay? It's kind of like Abraham. Lock gets taken captive, and... Uh, He sends 300 of his servants, male servants, and they defeat like four or five nations in battle and rescue Lot. I mean, that doesn't happen unless they were already trained to be commandos, okay? And so if you're going to delegate, you got to train people even before the situation occurs. Timothy was well-trained and ready to go. But are we genuinely concerned about our spiritual children? Paul could no longer endure not knowing their status, so he sent Timothy to get an update uh, on them. But Paul feared that Satan might tempt them to fall away. And if that was the case, if they fell away, Paul's, Paul's team's work in Thessalonica would have been in vain. And we've, we've all been there, I think. Yeah, I, there's been people that I've led them in the sinner's prayer, and they cried, and um, it looked like a genuine conversion to Christ. I assume the person was born again, and then after a while, you start real, they start drifting off. Then they're not bearing any fruit. Then after a while, they're bearing fruit for the other side, and five years goes by, and 10 years goes by, and you start thinking, was all the time that I ministered to that person, was that in vain? Now, now keep in mind, Paul knows God's word doesn't return void. But what he's saying is, I invested some of my work and the word of God in your lives, and that would be vain for you if, um, if you fall away and don't walk with the Lord. So Paul feared Satan might tempt them to fall away. Um, let me tell you something. Uh, um, if you're a Christian, if you're trusting in Jesus for salvation, whether you like it or not, you have a target on your back, okay? No ifs, whats, or buts about it. You have a target on your back, okay? Look at what Peter said in 1 Peter 5, 7. The first epistle of Peter, chapter 5 and verse 7. In fact, we'll look at verses 6 and 7. 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7. Peter says this, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. It's our job to humble ourselves. It's God's job to exalt us. Okay? It's not your job. If you exalt yourself in God's presence, God will humble you. You think, oh, man, I'm... I've really arrived. I'm a spiritual giant. You're setting yourself up for a fall, okay? God called David a man after God's own heart. God didn't call me that. David was not exempt from falling flat on his face. That's why Paul says in Philippians 3.3, we're of the true circumcision. We put no confidence in the flesh. Jesus said, apart from me, you could do nothing. We need to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God that he may exalt us in due time. 
And then Peter says, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Okay? And, um, and then verse 8, be sober, be diligent, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Okay? If Satan's not in Bremerton right now, you know, he accuses the brethren day and night before God's throne room. He roams the earth. He's got access all over the place. He won't be chained up in the bottomless pit, the abyss, until Jesus returns. Revelation chapter 20. Then after the thousand years there, that's when he gets thrown into the lake of fire forever and ever. But I can guarantee you this, okay? If Satan has not been to Kitsap County in the past week, he's got plenty unclean spirits working for him that have been, okay? He's probably got lower-level demons messing with me right now, messing with you right now, okay? And as God uses us more and more, and, and we get to that point where God is using us in a powerful way, it'll probably be some higher-level demonic entities. This is, not a, this is not a party. That party in heaven awaits us, okay? This is our time of humiliation. This is not our time of exaltation. We've had it so good in America where even Christians, even committed Christians, could be exalted in our culture. Those days are gone. These are, these are our days of humiliation. When King Jesus comes back, then we'll have our days of exaltation. And so until then, recognize there's a, there's a, uh, a target on our back. Look, look at the guy who's telling us this. He knows from experience. Look at Luke 22. Luke 22, verse 31 and 32. In fact, we'll look at verses 31 to 34. Luke 22, 31 to 34. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he, that's Peter, said to him, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. See, Peter's trying to exalt himself. Verse 34, then he said, then Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. Now, Satan demanded to sift Peter as wheat. I'm telling you, if you're doing what God's called you to do, if you're ministering to others, then there's a target on your back and Satan is requesting to sift you. He's got to go through God for permission. God will allow us to go through suffering, but God works it for good, okay? Um, but the fact of the matter is uh, right now, Satan would love to sift each and every person in this room like we. There's a target on your back. You, you don't take a day off from Christianity. And Paul, Paul's concern, Paul's concerned that, that Satan might tempt them, the Thessalonians, to fall away. And he'd say, wow, all of our work would have been in vain. And, um, and so uh, what I want us to do right now, we'll just close with this, but I want us to look at Ephesians 6, we're going to find out next week 
that Timothy brings good brings Paul good news about the Thessalonians. And um, so that Satan hadn't sifted them to fall away and sifted them like we, and that Paul could rejoice. He gets good news from Timothy about their faith and their love. And so uh, my question for you in closing is this. Are, you, are we wearing the full armor of God? Are you going to be like Paul? If you got the full armor of God on each and every day, you'll be like Paul. Even when, even when you got a, a short stop in Athens, you're going to preach Jesus. Even when you're off schedule, you're going to preach Jesus, okay? Um, are you, as, as you grow in the Lord and you start witnessing to others, leading people to Christ and discipling them, are you discipling others and training them? So if you can't be there, can you send your Timothy out there to minister to them? Are you willing to suffer for Christ? Jesus died for us. We need to live for him and be willing to suffer for him. But look at Ephesians 6. Are we wearing the full armor of God? Because Satan wants to tempt us. Satan wants to cause us to fall away. And Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18, and we're going to close with this. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Okay? Don't go home today and glory in your own strength. Okay? Paul wants us to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Okay? When we are weak, then he is strong. We need to acknowledge, we need to humble ourselves, and God will exalt us. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the schemes of the devil. So the tempter doesn't just mess with the Thessalonians. He's messing with us. Why? Because Paul says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. The guy in the White House is not, not our enemy. The guys at the World Economic Forum and the UN, those are not our enemies, okay? Our enemies are the demons that are controlling those guys like pawns, and they don't even know it. They just lust for power. They're willing, willing to stamp on people if it gets them more power. And the satanic realm says, the demonic realm says, yeah, we could use guys like that. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, against humanity. We're trying to lead humans to Christ. We wrestle against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. So what do we do to, to, to be strong in the Lord's might? Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and have done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Okay? Are you truthful to God about who he is and about who you are? Or are you a hypocrite even in your prayers before God? You acknowledge the God Lord, I'm, I'm messing up here. I'm messing up there. Help me, Lord. Strengthen me. We got to be people of truth. We've got to acknowledge God's truth in his word. He's going to emphasize this later on. He calls it the sword of the spirit. But we've got to be people of truth. In a culture of lies, the church, we must be people of truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, okay, Paul's going to commend the Thessalonians, because he hears from Timothy good news of their faith and love and righteousness. If you want a biblical formula for righteousness, it is not after you get saved, you try to obey God's laws through your own strength. You will fall flat on your face. Okay? The biblical formula for righteousness is loving God with everything you got, loving your neighbor as yourself, 
And, um, you know, Paul could say, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. Paul says, after showing that we don't, we don't get saved by the works of the law, does that mean we throw the law out? He says, no, may it never be. In fact, Paul can say, do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law through faith. Obedience or righteousness equals faith plus love in action. You want the breastplate of righteousness, you got to trust Jesus and his word more than you trust your own opinions. Okay? we got to trust in the Lord with all our hearts and lean not on our own understanding. Proverbs 3 and 5 and 6. And... Uh, and so that breastplate of righteousness, faith and love in action. we got to trust in the Lord Jesus. See, true spirituality is, Christianity is not really a list of rules and regulations, but it's a personal love-trust relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, who then through the power of the Holy Spirit empowers us to obey God's laws for the first time in our lives from the heart. The breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I wasn't real prepared to share my faith at Walmart. Yes. It doesn't mean every time I go there, I got to share my faith. I, I gave a few people, God bless you and stuff, but I think I could have been a lot more intentional. Okay. Are you prepared to share the gospel of peace? When I put on my shoes and I'm going to Walmart, I was like, uh, I wasn't a happy camper. They kept giving us messages that I got a prescription at Walmart. Every time I go there, they say there's no prescription for you. And they called again, and I went, and sure enough, there was a prescription. Somebody was dropping the ball somewhere, but I did not want to go there. I was not a happy camper putting on my shoes. Now, on a good day when I'd be putting on my shoes to go to Walmart, I'd say, yeah, I'd, I deserve the flames of hell. It's my time to pick up the cross and follow the Lord. But um, it's his job to distribute crowns. But, um, but I'm an ambassador of the king. And I'm putting my shoes on because I'm going to represent King Jesus at Walmart today. And um, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, trusting in the Lord, um, with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. So when Satan tempts us, we better be trusted in the Lord and his word. And take the helmet of salvation. If you're not saved, don't enter into spiritual battle. You'll get torn apart. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Like a Marine has to know his M16, Christians have to know their Bible. You know, we had to be able to take apart and put together an M16 blindfolded. We had to be experts shooting even from 500 yards away. If they outlawed Bibles and you couldn't have a Bible and no matter where you try to hide one, they found it, how much of the Bible do you have memorized? Okay. Um, and then, so the, the, the sword of the spirit, the only offensive weapon and the full armor of God, which is the word of God, got to be grounded in God's word, not the... That's the way we'll be able to see through the lies of man. And then praying always with all prayer and supplication of the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So just like Paul, Paul had the full armor of God on. We got to be in prayer on a regular basis. We need the full armor of God because just as Satan would love to bring down the Thessalonians, Satan would love to bring down the the members of Trinity Bible Fellowship. We got to humble ourselves in the presence of the Lord and allow the Lord to exalt us in due time. The days of humiliation are here, but the days of exaltation will come when our King, King Jesus, takes his stand upon the earth. In the midst of all these wolves trying to tear us to shreds, we're looking for the return of the lamb. And the lamb is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 
and he will take his stand upon the earth and make things right. Until then, let's serve him. Put on the full armor of God and serve him with every ounce of strength we have. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, I thank you, Lord, for the people that are here and their, their love for you. for the cause of the gospel. Help us to be more intentional so that even when we get off schedule, we can still share Jesus with others. Remind us that we represent you. Believers represent your son, the Lord Jesus, 24-7. We don't get any, any breaks, any coffee breaks in Christianity. But help us, Lord. Help us to be your people and prepare our hearts for the the dark days coming ahead. Equip us to be all that you called us to be, for we long for the day when your son takes a stand upon the earth. And we long to hear him tell us, well done, thou good and faithful servant. In Jesus' precious name we pray.